Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is for episode 43 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to the show, share it around on social media, and if you have time, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. As always, we thank all of our subscribers and listeners. Joining me today, my good friend Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you tonight? I am doing well. I need sleep. You probably need sleep as well. It's been a long weekend. Well, I guess one more show, technically, but we will sleep and we're yeah, good. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, the uh, I survived another G one, survived the SummerSlam weekend. Uh, I was on the trainer's table this morning. I had had to go get a massage, get some things worked out. I was feeling a little rough, but I survived again. I'm glad you're hanging in there, Larry. It's been oh, I made so many mistakes today, but what can you do? It's been a along with the the wrestling, which is the easy part. Steve Cook is like, how do you guys watch 19 hours of wrestling? Like to me. That's the easy part. It's everything else we've got to do with our, our personal lives. That is the yeah, tough part. Yeah, definitely. I was, uh, yeah, I got, uh, I got the finals done this morning and thankfully I, uh, managed to, uh, fall asleep. I was all hyped up after the Shibata thing, which we'll talk about later. And, uh, but yeah, I was able to fall asleep for a little bit. Went and got my massage, got some lunch, hung out with the girls for a while, but yeah, cause they're about to go back to school next week. So yeah, trying to fit all that stuff in over the weekend in the downtime was the uh, kind of the the big chore. The yeah, the watching the wrestling is easy. Easy. I love talking about it, and uh, it's just uh, getting it all done and everything done in a timely fashion with everything else we have to do. But yeah, not bad though. So last time we talked about uh, the ROH Summer Supercard Show, NXT TakeOver, and the A Block Finals of the G1. Tonight we will talk SummerSlam, the B Block Finals of the G1, the Finals, and some thoughts on Monday's Raw. So Jeremy, are you ready? I am ready. I was going to do a DX thing, but we'll leave that uh, in the past. Probably for the best. So we start off with WWE SummerSlam 2019. Uh, they added some. Uh, they took away some matches from the card, then they added some for the two-hour pre-show. Uh, we start off with uh, your cruiserweight champion Drew Gulak versus Oni Lorcan. Drew Gulak retains 8:45 via pin. Jeremy, your thoughts? Two shorts. It, it was fine for what it was. I'm glad it was on the pre-show. We we talked about it. In the preview, if it was on the pre-show, we thought they would get a little bit more time. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I don't get how you have a, a two-hour pre-show and then you don't start the first match until like quarter to six. So you waste the first 45 minutes of this pre-show just talking. Uh, that's another argument for another day, I guess. But too short, but still good for, for yeah, what it was. Yeah, it's a good little hard-hitting match that unfortunately did not get the time to work to that next level when we know they can. And due to the time constraint, didn't exactly have a lot of drama. But uh, it was good. Hopefully they can get a rematch down the line and get some more time to work. Um, but yeah, fine way to open the pre-show. We moved on to Buddy Murphy versus Apollo Crews. Buddy Murphy won at 4 minutes and 50 seconds via disqualification because Eric Rowan arrived and kicked the shit out of him for accusing him of being the attacker of Roman Reigns. 
It was a match that they added literally two hours be before the show, and it was something to get this angle done with Rowan attacking Buddy Murphy. So, not much to really say about it. It was, it was okay, but it, it was just there to serve as an angle, and this is why. Like you couldn't just do that, do this backstage or something, and then give more time to to Lorcan or and uh, Birch or, or uh, Lorcan and Gulak, and or just have this match go shorter because because it went what it went about five minutes. Like you were you knew you were doing this DQ, just have it go three minutes and give give more time to to Gulak and Lorcan. It was it was a throwaway thing to as a backdrop for the yeah. Angle. And oddly enough, it was the only thing they did with the whole Roman Reigns attempted murder saga on the show. Yeah, a lot of reports that Reigns was going to be on the show and Brian was going to be on the show in, in some capacity, and this was about it. And I think they showed the the video package during the show, but otherwise, no Reigns and, and no Brian and no Joe, and it. It made SummerSlam feel a little bit weird, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second. Um, yeah, I, I wish they just made this match shorter. It didn't need to go this long when you knew it was just setting yeah, up this Yeah, I angle. agree. I would have liked to see uh, Lorcan and Gulak get the uh, extra time. But yeah, Rowan beat the shit out of him, uh, powerballed him into the post, and basically told him to uh, keep his name out of his mouth. And um, yeah, I was hoping this was going to lead to Daniel Bryan and Buddy Murphy, but it's going to lead to Buddy Murphy and Roman Reigns on SmackDown. I hope Murphy gets some shine in that match and it's not just a complete squash. We saw that on Raw where McIntyre and Cedric Cedric Alexander had a had a good match um, and Cedric got some real shine in the match even though he lost. It's a little bit different with Murphy and Reigns because the the big guy and the fired up guy in this case is the is the baby face, so the heel running wild on him doesn't make quite as much sense as it did for Cedric and Drew. But I hope they just don't completely bury Murphy in this whole thing because guy has star potential. He's got to look. We know we can. We know it can go in the ring. He's improving on the mic. I I hope they they give him a little bit of shine. He's not just the guy who's just going to get beat up and is a snitch. Yeah, in this I, I hope so as well. And we will find out after SmackDown airs. But yeah, hopefully they have a good match because they're more than capable of it. Uh, Elias arrived for song time, but that was interrupted by Edge. And uh, Edge hit the old spear on Elias to stand tall. And uh, according to a lot of backstage stuff, uh, Edge obviously still not clear to compete. You know, the whole spinal stenosis thing. He has no plans on coming back. But I guess uh, he was told he was going to do something with Elias. And apparently this was something that they kind of pushed Vince to let them do. And Vince ended up saying okay to it. And obviously being in Canada, got a big pop for Edge killing him. It was cool to see Edge do this because you wouldn't think that he would get physical at all for the rest of his career. So the fact that he came out here and hit the spear on Elias, that was really good. I never I never thought this was like he's going to have a match again type thing. I thought it was just he hit this move to get a big pop and it completely worked. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Elias is a guy who just kind of eats finishers from the stars. So it worked here and yeah edge it was good it's good to see him not only in toronto um, i don't know if he saw his instagram post but he said he hadn't been to toronto since his mother passed away and it, w- it was tough for him so it was, it was good to see him in, in the in toronto in the building and then also getting yeah, physical fun, fun little angle uh perfect for the pre-show and uh closing out the pre-show were uh 
the women's tag team champions Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss defeating the Iconics. Uh, six minutes and ten seconds. I thought they had a perfectly okay match. I thought Alexa and Peyton had some fun exchanges, but again, they didn't really have a lot of time to build into any real drama. It was just a match to keep Nikki and Alexa strong, uh, rolling as champions following their win last week. Pretty much, it's it's a shame that like the Iconics looked halfway decent here. I'm, I'm not. A, I love their personalities. I think they're they're very charismatic, and their backstage vignettes are, are always awesome. They, their in-ring performance is not always the best, but they, especially the the Alexa and Peyton exchanges here, they can like they can work, and you know they never got a chance in their title reign. They never did much of anything, and I think it's probably good that Alexa and Nikki are the champions because WWE is not backing off pushing Alexa. Like she's going to be on television, and we saw them defend the titles again on Raw. Like. They they have a lot of equity built up with with Alexa and for good reason because she's she's a multifaceted performer and now that she has one of the titles they're they're going to keep pushing these titles and hopefully that's a good thing for that, this division. They've invested a lot of time into building the dynamic with Nikki Cross as well, so it would be awful silly to throw that away because there's still a lot you can do with that as we talked about before because you can again you can easily go with just the. Alexa's the evil bitch thing, and she's using Nikki the entire time to find whatever success she can. Or it could turn out that maybe Nikki's the one manipulating her to find success, and there's just a lot of stuff you can do with that. So yeah, no need to throw that away. No, and you add the women's tag team titles to it, and so you're showcasing those as well, hopefully in matches, but even if it's not always in a match, you get them on screen uh, in, in backstage segments or a moment of bliss or, or whatever. So, again, hopefully this is a revitalization of this division. I mean, Bliss and Nikki have held the titles for a week, and they've been in three matches with the titles, which is, I think, more than the Iconics had them in the, the longest reign in women's title yeah, history. pretty much. So, yeah, it's definitely good, and hope, like you said, hopefully will lead to something um, re-energizing these tag titles and Hopefully they kind of get back on track with what they were hoping to do because there are a ton of women overall on the roster. They could do a lot with them if they choose to. It's just if they choose to. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, Pay-per-view proper started off with uh, Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch defeating Natalia 12-25 via submission in a submission match. Uh, your thoughts? I enjoyed it. I like. I, w- I was a little hesitant about the the stipulation, but they worked well, and and in, in the end, it made sense. Both of them have strong submission finishers, so why wouldn't you try to showcase that? I saw a lot of people complain. I shouldn't say a lot. I saw people complain about the rope breaking thing, and I thought in this instance it, it was fine because it was at least established that rope breaks are not going to break the submission, and even if you get to the ropes, you can pull yourself out to create the the break from itself. And then you can do cool spots like the the sharpshooter in the, the middle turnbuckle spot that they did. So I didn't have a problem with that. I thought they worked with the stipulation well. Becky winning, obviously the right call. So And the, the crowd was into it for, for both ladies. A uh, good good way to kick off yeah, this Yeah, good pay-per-view. match for sure. I, I thought it was better than I expected because I was worried about the submission stipulation for the fact that not that I didn't think they could do it, but when you do the submission-only stipulation, the one thing you take away is the possibility of near falls. 
So you don't have that aspect to play off of. It's all based on the submissions. So you have to play really well to the stipulation. And like you said, they did, and I agree with that. Uh, and yeah, the crowd was into it. Right person won, and obviously we'll talk more about that on Raw. But uh, yeah, good match. Nice way to open the show. No complaints. Next nope, up, uh, Goldberg defeated Dolph Ziggler. And Jeremy, one thing we kind of harp about on this show a lot is Sometimes the simplest booking is always the best. And people, if you have Goldberg out there, people don't want to see a 12-minute Goldberg match. They want to see a Goldberg match. They want under three. Matt Riddle Matt Riddle wanted to see a 12-minute Goldberg match. He was hilarious on the watch-along. If you guys didn't watch it, it is on YouTube, the entire SummerSlam watch-along. And Riddle tells a story about meeting with Goldberg backstage and they're talking he's like Goldberg's like I think we need to talk later he's like okay bro and Goldberg's like I'm not your bro and then he's just like they're joking the whole time it's actually really funny I've enjoyed that a lot it's uh I'd be all for Riddle getting a match with him eventually and beating him that'd be great but um but yeah anyway people want to see a Goldberg match they want under three minutes they want Bill Goldberg to look big and mean they want to see a spear and the jackhammer and him pinning a geek and that's what they got here Minute 45, Spear, Jackhammer, pin to Geek. Dolph got in some super kicks early to, uh, you know, little little flurry to look slightly competitive, and then he got killed. It was all it needed to be. Thanks for coming, Dolph. It was exactly what it needed to be. I Not that there was much to watch in this match, but I was watching Riddle on Watch Along more, and he, he had some really good zingers and one-liners during this match my, my favorite was when uh, uh titus asked him how long do you think this match is gonna go and riddle's like well if they want to work to his strengths it's gonna go a minute if they want to see matt riddle get juicy it's gonna go 10 minutes so i i thought riddle was great during this and yeah just it's not a long segment to watch. Just watch Matt Riddle and, and tell the story and him just talk about it. He's like, oh, I wish it would have gone a little bit longer so it's worn out for our meeting. And then when Goldberg comes back for the third time, Riddle's like, oh, he's already getting blown up. I'm good. I got him. <laughs> so uh, Riddle was fantastic. The, the thing itself was this is how you use Goldberg. You have him come in. You squash the guy. No one cares about Ziggler. Like, if you're going to put someone in this position, Ziggler is a guy who makes sense to do it. One, because he's not a future star that you're, like, burying for for a past star. He himself is kind of a past star. And two, like, he can still bump and sell his ass off. And he took those spears really well and made Goldberg uh, look even stronger. So really, really a perfect segment. And if you throw in Matt Riddle's commentary, one of my favorite WWE segments in a long time. uh, Post-match, Dolph talked shit while laying on the mat. So Goldberg came back and speared him again. Then Dolph talked some more shit called Goldberg a laughing stock. Claimed that he was the best, so Goldberg came out one more time and took his soul with the third spear. And someone was like, I don't see why they had to do like three spears and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, I get the argument, but the fact was, every time Goldberg came back and hit him with another one, the crowd still popped and reacted for it. It wasn't like they started booing or didn't care, so as long as you're still getting the pop, good stuff. Exactly. So uh, the New Day was hyping up Kofi backstage and told him they brought him a gift and that Drake was here. And Drake was there, and unfortunately for them, it was actually Drake Maverick, who was dismayed for the fact that Truth wasn't there, and he felt tricked, and uh, he went to look for him. It was a fun little deal in the middle. 
So uh, next up, U.S. champion AJ Styles defeated superhero outfit wearing Ricochet in 13 minutes via pin. Your thoughts? This has divided the timeline, Larry, and I, I'm unfortunately on the side of it wasn't that good. It, it wasn't technically bad, but when you, you have AJ and Ricochet, you just expect so much more. One, they, they didn't get quite the time that they should have like 13 minutes is still fine for for these two they should be able to have a a better match in 13 minutes but and this has been the issue with a lot of aj matches in the past year or so is just booking got in the way with the oc interference and you know ricochet trying to fight off three guys and everything just let them have a, a clean wrestling match and all will be right with the world. Uh, the finish was cool. We'll say that. The finish was was really, really sweet. And the OC looked strong. It, like, the booking made sense. I can't even fault that they, you know, the story they told and the way they booked this because it did all make sense. It's just when you're a wrestling fan and you see AJ Styles and Ricochet in a one-on-one match, you just want them to go out there and, and tear the roof off the place. And they, they weren't really allowed to do that. Yeah. I, um, I thought it was good, but similar to last month, uh, it felt like they left a lot on the table for one reason or another and never did get to the next level. We know they're capable of. Um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Obviously I was hoping it would be much better, but I saw a bunch of people like just, like, totally shitting on it like it was a bad professional wrestling match. And in no way was it a bad match. Did it meet expectations for most? Likely not, judging by the diverse reaction. But it was a good match. It just it didn't hit what everybody wanted it to. Um, the finish was really good, as Jeremy mentioned. With uh, Rick Shea was basically going for a Phoenix Splash. He got caught, and it got turned into the Styles Class, which is a... Classic AJ finish that he's done against, like, Loki and Ibushi in the past. So, uh, that was cool. But, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see being disappointed in it. But don't go throwing out that it's, like, a bad match because it wasn't, like, a match of the year candidate. I mean, sometimes a good match is a good match. And, I mean, yeah, disappointment, sure. I I wanted it to be better. But, I mean, I've seen way worse matches on this show. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't, like, bad. I, I wouldn't say I'm in the, the camp of where this match totally sucked. It, it was certainly disappointing, though, because can you, you see Styles, you see Ricochet, you, you're thinking, like, well, this is going to be a potential classic, and it just turns out to be a fine technical wrestling match with, with nothing wrong with it or anything, but just booking kind of got yeah, in the way. There's nothing wrong with disappointment. I just think... Uh, and we'll talk about this in the New Japan stuff. Some people get like really disappointed, and then automatically it becomes this is bad and horrible. And that's not always the case. Sometimes just things aren't as great as we would like them to be, and that happens. I saw I saw a good tweet today of like social media has it's made it to where everything has to be like, and it was three fire emojis or three poop emojis, and that's it. Like it's either fire or shit. And I like I'm in the camp where some things are fire, some things are shit, but they're for for the most part, a lot of things are just like right in the middle. It, it's fine. Like you don't have to assign everything. It's a pass or a fail grade. Like there's plenty of middle. Exactly. Grade. And it, it, it happens. It's wrestling. There's a lot of things going on. So next up, SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey defeated Ember Moon at 10.05 via pin. 
I thought it was a pretty good and competitive match, but it was lacking in crowd heat throughout, and there was no strong drama in the title change, and in many ways kind of felt like Mia Yim and Shayna Baszler takeover, to where nobody was really buying Ember as a challenger, and you can't blame them because the build to her as a challenger was shit. Bailey's like, I like you, I think you're good, I'm going to give you a title shot, and then they largely made Ember look like shit heading into the title match. Can I can I take my victory lap on Ember Moon? I guess sure. <laughs> uh, you, you stole my 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 analogy with Ember Moon is basically main roster Mia Yim because I, I said it a million times. I don't get the character. I I don't think a lot of people get the character, and that's why it's very tough to invest in her. Like she has a good look. She, there's nothing wrong with her in-ring performances, but there's no well-defined, fleshed-out character. And this is, you know, WWE's fault as much as it is hers. And so why should I get behind this person if I don't know why, like who she is and what she's all about and everything? And like you said, it's just like Bailey's like, all right, I kind of want to challenge her. I want someone new. Ember Moon, I pick you. Like she's a Pokemon or something. And then they didn't do anything with Ember to make you believe that she's a, a credible challenger or anything so it's like why why should i care this was once again a technically fine match but the the crowd was not into it all at all because they've soured on bailey a little bit and this is years of just bad booking with her that one moment at money in the bank couldn't quite erase especially because the with the follow-up not being as great and then you've got ember who just no one cares about her. So nothing wrong from a technical standpoint. I could not get into it at all for the reasons I just yeah, laid and that's a, And again, that was kind of the problem live. It wasn't that, you know, anything was really wrong. It's just there, there's no reason to invest. And unfortunately, I mean, we it's our running joke here, Jeremy, but you always say that she doesn't have a character. And my joke is, God damn it, Jeremy, she's the Sheenom. But that's all they ever fucking say. Yeah. <laughs> she's the fucking Sheenom, but there's no explanation I, I, as to what the fuck that is. I, I don't know. I I don't get Ember Moon. I'm sorry for all the Ember Moon stands out there. Please, if you if you are an Ember Moon stand, please explain her to me. And if you can do that, then maybe I will reverse course. But if you're just gonna be like. She has a cool look, and she's really athletic, and her finisher's cool. That doesn't tell me who yeah, she and is. And again, that's 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 on WWE because they've had plenty of time to tell you who she is, but they've never done that. She's NXT Ember Moon who got called up, and then they did nothing with for the better part of a year, and she's the Sheenom. That's what we know about her. The fucking she. So again, I mean, it's not that she's necessarily doing anything wrong because if they're not giving you any context as to who the fuck or what the fuck she is, how are people supposed to invest? I mean, I, I love a great yeah. wrestling match and sometimes all I need is a great wrestling match. But sometimes, I mean, obviously not only is character sometimes important, sometimes character and story just makes things insanely better. And, I mean, Ember can have a cool look and be athletic and do a bunch of cool fucking moves all she wants, but if nobody cares and nobody's reacting and nobody believes in her, she's just going to be a chick. 
Pretty much. And she should really be much more. And again, that's kind of WWE's fault. So we move on. Shane McMahon, the best in the world, Jeremy, versus Kevin Owens. If Kevin Owens loses, he must quit WWE. And Shane stacked the deck right away, made Elias the special guest enforcer. This led to a lot of shenanigans. Shane got some heat. Kevin made the big comeback. And it went 9 minutes and 20 seconds. Kevin Owens won. It wasn't much of an actual wrestling match. There was a lot of bullshit. But number one, it didn't go too long. Number two, the crowd was into it. And obviously, the right person won. So, not great by any means. I thought it was solid as a match. But at least uh, the crowd actually kind of got back into the show a bit here. Because they weren't that into AJ and Ricochet. And they weren't into Ember and Bailey at all. And so they kind of rebounded here and got into this. And uh, Shane McMahon gets defeated. And Kevin gets to keep his job. So all was right in the world. I I wish this was a tad shorter. That's about my only complaint. But the crowd loved Kevin Owens because he's from Canada. And, I mean, he, he is over, like, legitimately. They, they've built him up very strong. And they they've Shane has built himself into a heat magnet, whether it's good heat or bad heat. Like, he, he's still drawing something. Um, and it's not quite go-away. It probably is close to go-away heat, like Baron Corbin. Uh, I... I thought this was smartly laid out in a sense that Kevin Owens overcame instead of got beat down. Like watch the the match with Roman Reigns where Shane is like actually controlling Reigns and, and kind of beating him down with the help of, of Drew McIntyre as well. But Shane is actually like getting a lot of single offense in. That didn't really happen against Owens. It was more of the Elias distractions and then Shane would get his shots in, but then Owens would, would rebound and everything. So the, like there is a difference between overcoming and, and just getting beat down. And that's, that's what this was here. So Kevin Owens, he comes back, he wins, he, he kicks Shane's in the Shane in the balls, which was cool. Uh, you know, Shane got a little bit of comeuppance there. And if I never see Shane McMahon again on my television, I'm completely fine with that. At least in a, wrestling capacity if they want to put this guy as a mouthpiece for for mcintyre or, or the revival i don't need it they don't need it but he does draw heat and if he's drawing heat for those guys then at least that's better than him just working to try and get himself over but really don't put him on my tv yeah i could definitely do without shane myself not gonna lie so uh yeah good win for kevin owens and uh something we say a lot the key now is the follow-up and to see what they do with him next is obviously a good wave of momentum. Defeated Shane, he's obviously over. So now we got to see what they're going to do and how far up he's going to go. So, yeah, I'm I'm thinking off the top of my head of who we could transition into a feud with, and not a whole lot of names come out to no, me. No, not at the moment. Maybe they will start something on SmackDown, and uh, that would be good. So next up was uh, Charlotte Flair defeating Trish Stratus. 1635 via submission. Uh, Early on, Trish looked a little off, which is understandable. It was her first singles match in like eight years. But they kind of quickly rebounded and got into things. And and I think the best part was for what Trish made up, for what Trish like lacked in smoothness in the opening minute and a half, two minutes, she was really excelling with like bumping and selling. And that was throughout the entire match. 
So um, that helped her a lot. I thought it was very good overall. I thought it was fun. I thought Charlotte led a rather smart match. And uh, Trish got to go out on a good note in Toronto in a very good match and got the big thank you Trish chance afterwards. So, I mean, I think it accomplished its goal because, I mean, obviously not bad. Charlotte picks up the big win. Trish gets to go out on a happy match and, you know, in terms of quality. And I think, uh, I think goals were accomplished. Wasn't as great as I think, uh, I think some hoped. But again, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with a very good professional wrestling match, especially when the crowd's into it. I really enjoyed this match for a number of reasons. First off, I'm just a big Trish Mark from way back when. I think anybody growing up in my age range was probably into Trish for for one reason or another. And she, like, if you follow the story of Trish Stratus, of she came in as a fitness model, like literal TNA. I mean, they they beat you over the head with the TNA stuff. And then transformed herself into a, a very worthy and, and accomplished and successful wrestler. And her whole story arc is is just amazing from from start to finish. It's tough not to admire the the hard work that she put in throughout her WWE career. She looked good in this match. Um, she she certainly had a little bit of rust, and she's you know she she's past forty. She she's lost a step from her prime. That's what age will do to you. The, but Charlotte, like I really have to praise Charlotte for this match because she she led, as you said, led a really strong match. And Charlotte is just her blend of, of size, strength, athleticism, speed, everything. Like she could really pick up Trish in those moments, like the the Hurricane Rana spot uh, off the top rope, even the, the early spots with the, where Trish, um, did the, the springboard hurricane Rana, like Charlotte is such a, a strong base for her that Trish could, could really throw herself into Charlotte and Charlotte could be there for her every single time. So, so Charlotte was, I thought just excellent in this match, uh, both, both when she was on offense and she, when she, uh, had to catch or, or just be there for Trish. So just, just a great, great performance by, by Charlotte and Trish once again held her own. She, she was very good for someone who has not wrestled a singles match in, in as long as she has. And, and, you know, has been away from the ring for so long. So I, I love this match. The crowd was into it. The, the right person won, and just just strong stuff from yeah, start to finish. Yeah, and that will probably set up Charlotte to challenge Bailey at Clash of Champions next month. Would be my guess. Yeah, that's in uh, that's in Charlotte actually. So that that would certainly make sense. Uh, next up, WWE Champion Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton fought to a double countout at seventeen and a half minutes. Jeremy, this feud must continue. I'm okay with this feud continuing. I I put it out there on Twitter last night that they've got the MSG show coming up in a month. They you know they're doing Raw and SmackDown on back to back nights. It makes sense for them to do a big angle at MSG given that they've you know brought that up in in the history. Like their history is a very real part of, of this feud. So that makes sense. My issue with this is they literally did the exact same finish last year with AJ and Joe. And it's just, 
for your second biggest show of the year for sort of the co-main event i mean the the second biggest match on the show anyway it's a, it's the wwe title match you want some type of resolution and if you're not going to get that resolution at least come up with a better finish than what we saw one year ago in the exact same scenario where it's a wwe title match like it, it was just i don't know you couldn't have come up with with anything like anything different like an rko through a table or something and then just talk about you know you put me through a table to kickstart your career i'm putting you through a table to end your career and then it leads to a no dq match or something like anything then he looked at my kids wrong and so we got counted out and then i snapped yeah it was a certainly a long and lethargic way to book the same story as joe and aj right down to the baby face snapping because the heel was going to threaten to go after their family the match was solid but it lacked heat and it was just really slow and overly deliberate. And we talked about this as Randy likes to work his style of match. And again, this is not about Randy Orton not doing flippies and shit. It's just the fact that like he works a style and it doesn't always click. It's one thing if the crowd is really into it. Like if he's grinding away at Kofi and he's keeping him down and he's beating him down and the crowd is rallying for Kofi to overcome but it just never happened. I just kind of kept waiting for them to move from, I, I guess I put it, I said something in my review about like, I wanted them, wanted them to go from setting the table to actually serving the main course. And they never did. They just kind of set the table and said, all right, you get to wait till next month. So it, for me, it was just yeah, another yeah. lackluster WWE title match. Again, Kofi's been booked strongly as champion. He wins almost all the time. He wins with his move. You know, he's not getting Rey mysterio He's not looking like a geek as champion. Uh, but just um, the way they built his previous challengers and then, like, the way they worked the matches have just left, the, for me, a lot to be desired in terms of the in-ring. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, disappointing stuff as far as in-ring performances with Kofi because we know he's capable of more, and this is just... It feels like it's another indication of just he's handcuffed by some of the booking that they give him. Like just let him go out there and, and have a great match because he's been working with Owens. And I mean, the, the heel Owens turn was not great. And they obviously abandoned ship on that quickly. Ziggler is who he is, but he can have a more than capable match. And then, and then there's Orton. So, I wish they just weren't handcuffed so much by the booking. And, and honestly, like the WWE style just sort of handcuffs you as well, uh, especially, unless you are in sort of that, that big main event position because and Kofi's been there for so long and Orton's been there for so long. Like this is the style they know how to work. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, th- th- there was bullshit chance due to the finish and Kofi beat the shit out of Randy Orton with kendo sticks and laid him out with trouble in paradise. As we said, this feud must continue the next month. So we moved on to The Fiend versus Finn Balor, Jeremy. And, uh, yeah, uh, the best thing is, obviously, uh, The Fiend had a great entrance. Uh, The Bray Wyatt entrance was great. Dude, great. Great is underselling it. This entrance fucking Really good stuff. He he still has the lantern, but it's like the, the, the decapitated head of Bray Wyatt with a giant light in its mouth. And uh, he has a new version of the theme song. It's kind of... I don't know if it's, I guess, like kind of like a, a death metal version of the 
old Wyatt theme, and it's uh, pretty fucking awesome. And yeah, it's just a great entrance, set the stage really well for everything. And we talked in the preview again, um, the simplest booking is the best, Jeremy. And with Finn Balor taking time off, um, for, depending on who you believe, it's going to be anywhere from four to like 12 weeks. So he's going to be gone for a bit. The uh, The best play here was the Fiend picking up a dominant win, and he did. Three minutes and 35 seconds. It was a dominant win. It was exactly what it should be. The presentation of Wyatt was fantastic. That finish was I cannot say enough good things about it. Like when when they released it on YouTube, I watched it so many times after it was released because I had three hours to kill before the the G one started. So I, I watched that entrance just so many times. It was so it was fucking awesome. And then the the match it was short. It was simple. It was exactly what it needed to be. You know, Finn got his little hope spots in, and I can see where people could maybe complain about that, but. If you look at the story they told with that, he got his hope spots in when Bray was going for uh, Sister Abigail. And you even saw him like do the whole voices in my head type thing, like doubting himself or whatever. Like he was trying to be Bray. And that's when Finn took advantage and, and got his uh, got his little run in there. And then he went back to the Fiend. He hit the mandible claw and then he put him away like that little things like that make a big deal if you you're smart enough to to pick up on them and the announcers didn't do too much like to talk about that and on one hand that's okay because you don't want to beat it to death and uh, you know that is a bad habit of WWE announcers on the other hand you've got to at least hint at it or something so the audience who maybe can't pick it up uh gets it but I mean, fans all the time say we don't want WWE to beat us over the head. Like we want us, we want them to treat us like we're smart. Well, there's an instance of them treating you like you're you're smart. They're not telling you that this is the story of of Bray or the Fiend, like Bray coming out of the Fiend. Like it's up to you to pick up. Yeah, and the other thing too that made sense is like. We, we talked about that entrance and it said like a great atmosphere for everything. And like, I thought Balor did a good job of kind of selling like, what the fuck is this during that? And so it, it made yeah, sense for, for sure. the fiend to kind of do the run wild early. And then basically Finn kind of got over the shock and awe and got in a brief flurry. He tried to make a comeback and it was really brief. He hit a couple things and then he uh, went for the double stomp, but ate the mandible claw. And that was that. So, yeah, I have no problem with the hope spot because, I mean, you want the Fiend to dominate, but you just, you really don't want to just squash Balor on pay-per-view completely with, like, no offense. So, I mean, it makes sense. He had that little hope. And, like you said, a little bit of layer to the storytelling there with the Fiend character. And, again, sometimes the simplest things are exactly the best things to do. And that was this. So, it was a, a definitely a good segment. Uh, the entrance and presentation of Bray as the Fiend came off really, really well. And uh, so, again, now they just... Uh, we talk about all the time, Jeremy, the key is to follow up on it now. And that's... There was no mention of it on Raw. I'm okay with that. Maybe you should have done a video package or, or something, but I, I don't want to see the Fiend every week. I, I truthfully want, and maybe this will come out on SmackDown because Balor was a SmackDown guy, I think. I can't keep up with this wild card nonsense anymore. But I'm pretty sure Balor was a SmackDown guy. So 
because of that, like maybe Bray is technically a SmackDown guy. Maybe we will get a follow-up on SmackDown. My, my point is I, I want like I don't want to see a whole lot of Fiend. I definitely don't want to see him wrestling. I like the next time I see Bray Wyatt, I want him to just be Firefly Funhouse guy again and just, you know, talking about, you know, with puppets and doing his kids show before he has a reason to sort of snap again. Like that's what I want to see. I don't want them to just kind of keep harping on the fiend and like, Ooh, those guys really spooky and stuff. Like there, there are big layers to this character and it is a, a bipolar character and you don't, we don't need to be hit over the head with it. And I'll be happy if this guy doesn't wrestle again uh, until survival. Yeah, I series. was hoping if anything that we'd get like a firefly Funhouse on raw with like, cause you know, like the puppets were like hyping up being fans of Finn and they could have been like, you know, Ramblin' Rabbit could have been like, wow, Finn's an extraordinary man that got extraordinarily beat down. And Bray could have been like, calm down, Ramblin' Rabbit. I'm sure Finn tried his best, but the Fiend was just too much for him. And just kind of do stuff like that. But yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you. I don't want to see the Fiend every week. I don't want to see him wrestling all the time. Uh, try to make him a little more special until there is actually something to get really invested in feud-wise. So otherwise, uh, until then, less is definitely more. And maybe we will get that follow-up on SmackDown. So I don't want to completely say they missed the boat on Raw by not doing anything because he might be a SmackDown guy. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, exactly. Who the hell knows? Uh, so the main event of the of the SummerSlam pay-per-view was Seth Rollins defeating Brock Lesnar to win back the Universal title. Other than them needing a SummerSlam main event, I, I have no clue why they did the title change only to just retell the WrestleMania story and change it right back. But with that being said, I will say, I thought this was a great 13 minute sprint. Brock tried to murder him. Seth was a good desperate baby face and he overcame and won in the end. So uh, we can just hope that his second run is going to be better than his first, which means Baron Corbin free. Seth came into this match super cold. That final promo of "I'll be there, I'll beat him, guarantee it." Like it was so weak, and like he was even getting booed coming into this match. Credit to Seth for for working really hard. Brock, say what you will about this guy, he gives a shit ton in these matches. Like he sells his ass off for these guys. He tosses you around and makes it look like he's just beating the shit out of you, probably because he really is. Uh, Brock is for everything that people want to knock him for. Like once the bell rings, the, the guy, unless he's working Dean Ambrose, he is a, a real professional in there and, and makes the opponent look really strong when he's told to make the opponent look really strong or I guess when he wants to. Um, so I, I, I thought this match was, was great. They, they both worked hard. Uh, Brock picking him up and swinging him by the rib tape was fucking awesome. Uh, just really good stuff. And yeah, I, I'm with you that why did you have to do this outside of you kind of wasted things after SummerSlam? And, and that's really what this came down to. To me, this show almost felt like a, a reset of things because we know Heyman's in there and he's been in there for maybe a month or so now. We know Bischoff's in there and he's only been in there for a couple of weeks. And now there's resetting, reshuffling ending the feuds they kind of inherited a little bit uh, and just sort of 
starting over on a lot of things and, and trying to, to rebuild from there. And that's what this show felt like. And even kind of continued on Monday, but that, and that's about the only reason I can think that they did the, the Brock switch and to, I guess get the money in the bank contract off of Brock. Although I think you could have gotten more mileage out of that with the teases, but then you risk over teasing it, which it almost hit that point anyway. So it, who knows why they did the basically Brock as a transitional champion just to get it back on Seth. Hopefully the, this run goes better. I, I'm with you. The, as long as Baron Corbin can involve, be involved, it, it can't go much Fair worse. Enough. So, yeah, so that was SummerSlam. I thought it was a pretty good show overall. Um, I, I, it's, it's always funny with these WWE shows because I see you have this large group of people that will come in like, oh, the show is absolutely great. You're just un- under undervaluing it because you like New Japan. And then there's this large group of people that'll come in like, every WWE show sucks. Nothing was good on it. And it's like, why? It kind of goes back to what you were talking about. Why does there have to be this crazy extreme on everything? Why does. I don't understand why some people have to think that whatever they're watching is always the best or whatever they're watching today has to be the worst. I thought it was a. Like, pretty good, a little above average, you know, nothing. I didn't hate anything on it. I thought I thought the Goldberg thing was done really well. I thought Becky and Natalia was good. I thought Charlotte and Trish delivered. Uh, I thought uh, the Fiend thing was good, and I thought the main event was great. Yeah, exactly. And the best part about this show is it was off the yes. air at 1030. So with the pre-show, it only went five and a half hours instead of seven or eight. I was thrilled by that. And if you take out the pre-show, then yeah, you're looking at a three and a half hour pay-per-view, which is exactly what these things need to be. And honestly, moving forward, you can most likely skip the pre-shows. Yeah, for the most part, man. It's, uh, yeah, there's not a lot to see there. But yeah, I, I love that it did not go like eight hours long. That made me very happy. So moving on, Jeremy, we will head back to New Japan and we will talk about Night 18, the B-Block Finals. We started off with your boy Toriano facing off with Jeff Cobb. Yano came out. Um, this was spectacular. He came out with his robe, took it off, and he looked like he had put on 30 pounds because he was hiding approximately 47 rolls of tape in his tights. <laughs> this man's yeah. the best. Gato's a coward for not going but, uh, all the way with But obviously a clash of true amateur wrestling greats here. They went five minutes and 20 seconds. And uh, I'm not sure exactly how because my feed went out. But I'm pretty sure Jeff Cobb fucking cheated to win. I mean, of course Jeff Cobb cheated to win. I think he hit the uh, um, tour of the islands. I think he kicked the on the nuts like 18 recall. times though, dude. I'm telling you, he had to cheat. Sure, I'll go with you. No, but they, they had a perfectly solid little fun match. Yano tried all the shenanigans. Uh, basically, Jeff Cobb was just kind of too strong for them. But uh, again, fun. You know, Yano is not going to have the best technical wrestling matches, but the dude is just a lot of fun. He offers something different. And uh, Cobb picks up the biggest win of his career, cheating to beat Toriano. Yeah, good, good for Jeff Cobb. He... He had a good tournament, and, and Yano was the MVP. There you go. So up next, Jeremy, was something I was actually happy to see because Big Tom Ishii, even though he lost, 
always brings out the best in Taichi. And we actually got dangerous fucking tea tonight. Uh, Taichi ended up defeating Big Tom Ishii just over 12 minutes via pin. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought the general tone of Taichi's work was really good here because it was all dangerous tea. No bullshit. Ishii just brings out the best in him because he basically, Ishii calls him a bitch all the time and dares him to fight him. And it's like the one time whenever he's actually wrestling Ishii that he fucking digs down and says, I'm going to be a badass professional wrestler and try to fight this guy. And that's the Taichi I would like to see way more because he was really great here. And uh, Ishii delivers again and uh, pretty much locked up the tournament MVP match wise with this. Ishii was awesome this entire tournament. I'm with you. I cannot stand Tai Chi because he most of the time just does his bullshit little character where you get a bunch of bad wrestling matches. But against Ishii, he comes out with the the dangerous tea and looks awesome. And it's like, why don't we see this guy more often? And he just he doesn't do it. But Ishii just has a habit of bringing this out of him and good on him. That's why he is the, the yeah. MVP. And again, I'm not saying that Tai Chi can't do this stuff. It's like... I would prefer he keeps all that bullshit to the night off tag matches and stuff that's not important. And then when he actually has the important single matches, I want to see this Taichi. I want to see Dangerous T. Because I'm all for like taking it easy and fucking around on the like the six and eight man tags when you don't have to go hard. But like don't bring that shit to when you actually have like a semi-important or important match on the show. Give me more of this because when he does it, he's really good. So, uh, exactly. next up was uh, Juice Robinson versus John Moxley. John Moxley has gifted Shooter Umino a leather jacket because he's a good friend, and they're that's right. They're gonna be good, good friends for life. Uh, Juice Robinson picks up a little bit of revenge here. Sixteen and a half minutes. Uh, I think everybody kind of expected him to get the win here, but they had a very good match. He, like I said, he got a little bit of revenge and likely earns his uh, U.S. title rematch with it. These two have really good chemistry together. It wasn't overly long. It never got intense like their first meeting. But again, this wasn't the night that it was going to do that. So it was just the uh, kind of the next chapter and the next stage to get to that uh, rematch for the title. So very good stuff here. And uh, I I just love a lot of Moxley stuff because he can take his matches from feeling like a, a crazy wild raw fight. And then like 30 seconds later, my man's like, chop blocking the knee and working clover leaves and actually like going scientific wrestling. So he's just bringing a lot of fun and diversity to his matches. I told you I've really enjoyed Moxley during this run from the presentation down to the wrestling, down to the post-match stuff. He he's really got everything figured out right now. It, it feels like, and you know, good on him. The, the relationship with shooter is, is awesome. The, the winner of this one was was never really in doubt, and that took a little bit away from it. Maybe even went a, a tad too long, but I still liked it because it was something different from their first match while still playing on elements of their first match. And it, it was the, the, the second chapter of most likely a three-chapter feud. And, you know, the, the first chapter was outstanding. You kind of cool it down for the second chapter. And then the third chapter, you, you hopefully blow them away. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the third match between Definitely. these two. Definitely, so am I. Um, next up, co-main event, Shingo defeated Hiroki Goto 15-15 uh, via pin. 
I thought this was a great hard-hitting battle. Both guys just throwing bombs and doing everything they could to end their opponent. Uh, great fight spots with realistic struggles. And Shingo's ability to go from 0 to 100 with his explosiveness is always just next level to me. He closes out with a big win here. Continues to show that he can work with pretty much everybody. And uh, the thing is, is with this win, he then announced afterwards that he is officially moving up to heavyweight, Jeremy. Good on him because his tournament was awesome. And this match with Goto was really, really good. I, I love the pumping bomber where, you know, Goto threw the clothesline as well. And Shingo was like, fuck your clothesline. You're going down. Uh, just great, great win for, for Shingo. Really established him in the, the heavyweight division even further after this run. And now we're going to get some uh, heavyweight bangers with, with Shingo. Give me give me the Ishii Shingo yeah, match Yeah, we're again. probably getting that soon on the Destruction Tour for the uh, Never Open Weight title, I'd imagine. So... I'm fine with that. You you know what I want with the Never Open Weight title. I just want Ishii to hold it, just have bangers against really good guys from from all weight classes like Shingo. I mean, even like Osprey if he's junior or heavyweight now. Even like a show or a yo. Like, like just let Ishii just have these great matches uh, against people from all sizes yeah, and weights. Yeah, one thing, like whenever they were, um, like they took like Kushida off the radar for a little bit in the juniors. I kept begging for him to get a never open weight title run. Not 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 even a title run, but a, at least a title shot. Because I would have loved seeing like him and Ishii tearing it up. And because uh, Kishida's one of those guys that works well with everybody, they never did that, so I was disappointed. So yeah, shit. I, Ishii can he can yeah Ishii and show Ishii and Shingo, all kinds of shit. Just give me fucking great matches. That's all I want. Main event of the evening, closing out B-Block. Jay White defeated Tetsuya Naito at 18.50 via pin to win the B-Block and move on to the finals. Jeremy, your thoughts? Jay White has never told a lie. That's my my first thought. He said he was going to rattle off six straight wins, and that's exactly what he did. I... This match was a tad disappointing because it's the finals. It's much like uh, the Styles and Ricochet match in that there was nothing technically wrong with it. And it was booked how it was booked. And it was, it was booked in a way that, that made sense. But it's you think Jay White, you think Naito, you think B-Block finals. It's, it's for the right to go to the G1 Climax finals. You're thinking this is going to be... Like just a, a, an outstanding banger of a match, and it wasn't. It wasn't your typical hot New Japan finishing stretch where he had multiple counters and and kickouts the finishers and everything. It was just a oh, Blade Runner, and it's over. Um, I didn't have a problem with the match though. I thought it was still good. I'm I'm a fan of Jay White's work. I'm a fan of Naito's work. And again, technically it was fine. The booking in it made sense, but given the circumstances and the two guys involved, I was just hoping for a little bit more. As was I, and I just um like you said, there wasn't anything I felt overly technically wrong with it. I just I never got invested into it. Like they didn't really do anything to like pull me in and make me really care about it. And I just kept kind of waiting for that. And then it was like kind of like the typical overbooking bullet club bullshit. And then Jay White wins. And it's not the problem with him winning. It's just, 
Uh, it never felt like a New Japan main event or a block final match, which have you know traditionally been pretty great. Yeah, yeah. It was, again, just a, a fine match that was overall disappointing given given the, the stakes involved. Yeah, so I was kind of kind of waiting for something big there and it didn't quite happen. But uh, Jay White wins the B block and moves on to the finals. And we will head on to the final re- review now and we will... Do you want to talk about Naito being buried? Oh, yeah, that's the big thing. Obviously, uh, as soon as that was over, uh, Tetsuya Naito is buried. Gato hates him, and he's being treated like a jobber, and he's not being treated like a star at all. That was the pretty much the running narrative on Twitter afterwards. My my feelings are that look, the guy's not being buried. He just made the finals of B-Block. He's still the Intercontinental Champion. Like There's plenty you can do with this guy. He remains insanely over and he's going to keep remaining over. But if you look at where we thought he was going to be a year ago, which was, it looked like he was being set up for the big wrestle kingdom win against Okada. And that didn't happen. And then he just kind of kept losing these big matches. And and that's been the story of his last two years really is in, in the majority of these big matches. He's not getting it done. He's getting older. He's looking a little bit broken down. And, and now we, we saw it on the final night. Uh, the LIJ stuff, it, you know, Shingo's moving up to heavyweights. Sonata is slowly creeping up and looking like he's sort of establishing himself as the, the potential overthrower of Naito. And, you know, where does that leave him? I think there is still a, a big story here to tell and new japan has earned the benefit of the doubt to where uh you know let's see how this does play out with him it's unfortunate that it looked like he was going to be the guy to to really carry this company and even coming into this g1 uh naito wasn't as hot as we thought he was going to be but a g1 you can heat anybody up real quick just by giving him wins and then you, you win and then you go on to the dome. They got the two nights in the dome. Everyone thought that they didn't do Naito Okada uh, the rematch this past year because they were like, "Oh, well, they're doing two nights next year. It's on a weekend. They'll they'll really draw a big crowd. That's when you save this match." And now it doesn't look like they're doing it. Is Naito being buried? No. Is he where we thought he would be at this time last year or this time eighteen months ago? Definitely not, but there's still a lot of layers and still a lot of story that they can tell with him. Yeah, and honestly, they're just they're they're kind of downgrading him like they did with Nakamura before he left, because Nakamura was kind of transitioned into that uh, third spot for a while with uh, Tanahashi and Okada on top, and he was still over and still having good matches and still a valuable draw. And that's what Naito is. And again, you got to look at Naito. He's he's 37. His knees are shit. His neck is bad. He's reportedly having trouble keeping up with his conditioning. And, I mean, he's never been an Adonis, but you look at him and it's like, yeah, he looks a little rough here and there. So, I mean, it's kind of understandable that, like, okay, he's not going to win the G1 and he's not going to face Okada. But that doesn't mean he's not going to have an important match because, again, like Jeremy said, there's two dome shows. 
He's still Tetsuya Naito. He's still really over. LIJ is an important thing. There's a lot of time until January for them to set him up for stuff. And, um, I mean, could that be the end of LIJ? Could that be him being overthrown? I mean, there's a lot of stuff they could do, so there's a lot of story to tell. So, I mean, let's kind of calm down with the Naitos being buried and they hate him thing because, again, I think that's just jumping to the extreme. Is it disappointing that maybe he didn't win and he's not going to get, like, the big match? I can understand. Yeah, it kind of is. You could have made an argument because at the time I did feel, because that night in at the Dome, I thought he should have beat Okada. But then you look at the booking that they did after that and they locked in that record title run and they used that all as a setup for the big Kenny Omega win. And that was a, you know, that was big because they were trying to do the U.S. expansion stuff and no offense to anybody else in New Japan, but Omega was a bigger name to North American audiences than Okada and Tanahashi and stuff and Naito. So I got why they did it. And it's just, you know, there's a lot of business things going on here. And again, it's not like he's being beaten but like by like a fucking drum and losing like three-minute matches to Bad Luck Fale every night. He's still the Intercontinental Champion, still insanely over, and there's a lot of story to tell, and I'm I'm actually really interested to see where they go between now and January. There's there's a lot of story to play out with Naito, and, and certainly plenty of time for it to play out with the LIJ stuff. I mean, Sonata's getting big reactions. You could... It, it sounds tough for me to say right now you could headline Naito and Sonata as one of the, the G1 Knights for the Intercontinental title, but Naito's over. You could easily build Sonata, who's already built up uh, plenty of stock over these past couple of years. You could easily build him up into that spot, and you could easily, um, w- with the LIJ story, if you're going to tell the, the overthrow or the kickout or however you're going to tell it, you could easily build up that that feud between them two to, to book that as one of the, the Tokyo Dome main events. So... They're, they're going to have plenty of options come come January with Naito. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see where they go with it. I'm kind of excited. So now we will head on to the whole uh, the G1 Finals night, Jeremy. We started off with a battle of the, uh, the Young Lion Dojos here as uh, the LA Dojo kids Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors defeated uh, Suji and Ren Narita 10 minutes. Um, the best part of the G1 tour has been the fact that the LA Dojo Young Lions have gotten the the repetitions they desperately needed because they showed a lot of potential, but the one disadvantage they have compared to the New Japan Dojo Lions is they don't get to work all these tours, they don't get to work with all these veterans, they don't get to work with and just get all the repetitions that like you know, Narita and Shooter Umino and all these other guys get. So the fact that they got it on here I thought was great for them. I thought that they showed a lot of improvement throughout the tour. And this was a good hard-hitting opener, and I thought that the LA Dojo guys winning and looking dominant was a good call. As an extended squash, they made my boy Rin Narita look like trash, and I did not appreciate that. I like the Young Lions brawl at the end of this. I wish Shooter just came out and just run roughshod over them all, like 
fuck y'all young lions now. I'm with Moxley. I'm the shooter. I don't need y'all anymore. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, the LA Dojo guys, they, they look good in this. They were impressive. It was... I I like them. They they jump really high. I thought they made it a point to show off their high jumping skills. I don't know what that means, but uh, overall, a fine way to kick it off. It's it's these young lions have been. I mean, everyone knows how I feel about Narita. I think he's going to be really good. And uh, Fredericks and Connors, they they look strong here. Keep telling you, man. Ren Narita's biggest holdback is that shitty hair game. He's going to scalp Shooter and turn it into a, a Bray Wyatt-esque mask, and then then he will have the hair game. Well, he needs to do something, man, because he just got submitted by an L.A. Dojo line. That's not good. That was nonsense. No, uh, Suji tapped out, didn't he? Uh, yeah, Suji tapped out. They, 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 yeah, yeah, they're yeah, not burying... Sorry. They're not burying my boy Narita that much. Well, he got his ass beat still, so, I mean... He did. All right, so we moved on. Uh, Tiger Mask, Jushin Liger, and Jeff Cobb defeated Kanemaru, Taichi, and Lance Archer. This was Liger's last ever Budokan match and his first since 2011. So kind of an important night for him. And it's things like this that I kind of... I understand why they do all the undercard tag stuff, but I, I it kind of would have been nice if they would have given Liger a singles match here, I think. You know, let him fucking beat Kanemaru. Nobody gives a shit. Just give Liger, but... Like a nice send-off. But then on the other hand, I know Liger's been very, like, very resistant to them going over the top with farewell stuff. Because he knows he's going to get a spot at the Dome shows and stuff, and he'll be an important part of that. And I guess he wants to kind of downplay it until then. And that's that's, that's commendable, man. I, I respect that. But uh, I would have liked for him to get a little shine. But uh, I thought they had a good little tag match here. Uh, Cobb picked up another win to close out his tour with the tour of the islands. And, uh, yeah, it just a good little match. You know, Liger got his shit in and sold really well. Taichi and Kenamar were dickheads. Like they've been for like the last eight years trying to rip his mask off. And Lance Archer again, looked good. And uh, I, again, really curious to see where they go with Lance Archer moving forward. Cause was really pleased with his G1. I, I mean, more than a Liger singles match, I would just like Liger involved in kind of any way. It didn't feel like he was part of this match, which, okay, if he is kind of resistant to the, hey, big farewell tour kind of thing, I guess that makes a little bit of sense. But at the same time, he can be resistant. You're also Jushin Thunder Liger. The fans want to see you. And I just, I want to see a little bit more out of him. But Good for Cobb to pick up the win. Yeah, Archer, it'll be interesting to, to see where he goes. We both uh, think very highly of him and think he should be uh, groomed for, for a big spot moving forward. And it was a, a fine New Japan multi-man match. Exactly. So we move on. Show Yo and Will Ospreay defeated Ishimori, Chase Owens, and Yujiro Takahashi. Eight minutes. Uh, another good little tag here. The Chaos guys work really well together. Uh, and just, uh, yeah, all, a lot of fun stuff from, uh, Rapunky 3k and Osprey and, uh, Bullet Club was there to, uh, to take the loss. Uh, I think the good news though, was that, uh, Ishimori looked really good and healthier than he had in a long time coming out of the best of super juniors. Yeah. I- Ishimori, uh, he got some time off and he, you know, that did well. I like the team of, uh, show yo and Osprey. I'd like to see them in, more trios matches because I think they could be kind of cool together and bullet club wins, which is our, um, a show yo and Osprey win, which is a uh, fine. And again, I, I wish 
they would do some more trios matches together because that's kind of a cool team to me. Yeah, they were a lot of fun together. So, uh, And instead of Rapungi 3K, we got Altered Rights Music Bullshit Will Ospreay. If you know this stuff is going to be altered for the New Japan uh, world crowd, play Rapungi 3K. It's the best theme song you got. Seriously, I mean, yeah, give me something other than that bullshit. Will not disagree at all. So, next up, Tohanari and Juice Robinson defeated Shooter Umino and John Moxley in tag team action. Six minutes, 25 seconds via pin. They had a solid little match. It was a fine way to continue Juice versus Moxley. Uh, especially with the post match, we saw Moxley hit a belt shot and Death Rider on Juice. And then he said. He he had Juice set up on the floor, pulled out a table, and said, he looks like he belongs in a 90s jazzercise video, so we're going to toughen him up. And then he put him through the table with the the urinage, the rock bottom. I I mean, the, the match was whatever. It was not going to be anything big. The post-match angle was, was cool because, you know, Shooter took the loss, which was to be expected. And then Moxley, I guess, as a, a father, had two choices. Do I check on my son or do I beat the shit out of these guys who just beat up my son? And he chose to beat the shit out of uh, the guys who beat up his son in a big way by putting Juice through the table. And then he dragged his son away and he kind of left them there, teaching them some, some tough love there of, you know, get up, come on. Uh, Moxley... I guess this will end his uh, his New Japan run for now. He's he's uh, he's working back in the states this weekend. He's obviously working um, all out in in a couple of weeks, and then they'll have September. And I imagine he would return to New Japan in September because I don't know if AEW is going to hold the show. And then they've obviously got the big debut in October. So I think Moxley will will be back in September for for one of those shows. But as of now, his his run is uh, kind of finished. Yeah, but they did a good job again, kind of as they did at the, the last year. They did a good job of continuing the story here to set up the uh, the next rematch and uh. Uh, angry John Moxley getting revenge for his beaten son was a nice finish there at the end, so it all made sense. And uh, yeah, we continue on with our story. Uh, next up, multi-man tag team action. Uh, Bushi, Shing- Shingo, Sonata, Evil, and Naito defeated Taguchi, Hanma, Yano, Goto, and Makabe. Um, the most amazing thing in this match, and I joke about it all the time, was Togi Makabe has the amazing ability to work like 10 minute tags and never take a bump. God bless him. I know. I mean, brother, get your paycheck and get out of there. But like he got dumped to the floor at one point and did the over the top rope thing, landed on his feet. And then he came in and he did some stuff and there was a point where he should have taken a bump, but he got out of it somehow. And he has like perfected that craft. So, I mean, yeah, good on him. Uh, LIJ one at eight forty five via pin after Sonata hit the slam and moonsault on Hanma. Good little match. LIJ back on the winning track. I always like their multi-man tags. And then the big story after the match was they always do the LIJ fist bump salute. And prior to the G1, Evil was the one refusing to do it like Sonata did last year. But uh, they went to do it this time. But instead of Naito, it was Sonata taking center lead, throwing up the fist. And then Evil joined in right away. And, uh... Yeah, we kind of talk about it. I mean, what could be in store for LIJ? I mean, could it be Sonata finally getting the rocket on and finally getting a push of some sort and finally winning a singles title and maybe taking over LIJ? 
Because um, you would think on the surface that right now... I mean, obviously, Naito brings them all in. But the fact is, is like, Bushi will stay loyal. Shingo likely stays loyal because of the Animal Hamaguchi tie-in. And I always thought that Shingo could be one to turn on him and take over just because he's a badass. But uh, the Sonata thing with maybe him and Evil splitting off with Hiromu if and when he comes back could create an interesting dynamic. And then, of course, you have the three-on-three feud going forward out of that. As we talked about with Naito in the the last segment, um, a lot of possibilities for what they do with him in LIJ. The Sonata leading the uh, fist salute here certainly cast a lot of doubts on where Naito's kind of stands as the leader of LIJ. And yeah, Hiromu, if and when he returns, how does he play in? Shingo moving up to heavyweight. How is that going to change things? You know, Naito is still the Intercontinental Champion. So plenty of story to tell with, with LIJ and Naito. Yeah, they have a lot of different directions to go. So it'll be really interesting to see. Um, kind of, again, I'm excited to see where they go. This is where the show really picked up, Jeremy. Because it was a perfectly fine show up until now. Some good wrestling. You know, nothing, nothing blow away, but of course nothing bad. And then we get a tag team action with... Uh, the uh, Gorillas of Destiny and Bad Luck Valet facing off with Kenta Yoshihashi and Big Tom Ishii. And there was a lot of people before this match that were speculating that they were wondering if Kenta may actually join Chaos and be embraced by the New Japan audience. But uh, that sort did not happen here. No, we we got, um, you know, Tamatanga teased that they had a new bullet club member and they revealed it here. The, the reveal, like it, it was fine. It, Kenta kind of turning his back on new Japan made made sense because he was never really a new Japan guy to begin with. And bullet club recruiting him made sense, but it, it uh, paved the way for an even bigger angle. Yeah, this was great. Uh, bullet club ends up winning. Kenta walks out at first on Ishii and then Ishii makes the big comeback. Looks like he's going to win, but Kenta takes him out. And um, so Bullet Club wins. The crowd absolutely hates him for this. And then uh, he and the Bullet Club members beat down Big Tom and Yoshihashi, and then they attack the LA Dojo kids. And this is when the shit got real, Jeremy. Because fucking Shibata hits the ring. Katsuyori Shibata, the man who has not wrestled in years after summoning a brain hematoma in his match with uh, Okada when he threw the shoot headbutt. He hits the ring, sees his young lads being assaulted by the man he brought into New Japan and endorsed for the G1. And shit is on. He starts kicking the shit out of Kenta. He clears the ring of Bullet Club. He's beaten ass. He hits the awesomest looking hesitation corner drop kick on Kenta to the point that after he hit Kenta, I thought Kenta was going to curl up in the fetal position and cry. It was fucking beautiful. He worked the sleeper. He was going to go for the PK, but that son of a bitch Jado, or as Rocky likes to call him, Fredo too, hit him with the kendo stick. That allowed Kenta to fire back, choke him out, hits the PK, and then he sits down on Shibata's chest, cross-legged, joining the Bullet Club, throwing two sweets with his two with his new friends. This was fucking awesome. 
It was amazing. The <laughs> the reaction Shibata got was just it blew the roof off the place. And you know, we we never thought we'd see Shibata get physical in, in this way again. And he did credit first off uh, Tematanga for taking a, a, an outstanding bump off of uh, Shibata strike, and then Shibata hitting the hesitation drop kick, which looked like it really sucked. For Kenta, but he was probably happy to take it. And then uh, Kenta threw a, a very weak PK because I'm sure he did not want to hurt this man. Uh, so so that's good. And the, the hitting the the Shibata pose over his prone body, his Bullet Club, uh, you know, posed with him and everything. Like it just a, an amazing visual. This angle just ruled so so hard. Even if Shibata can't come back and do one more match and like if he can't do it he better not be pressed into it like if he's not clear don't don't trust this guy to be like it's okay i'm all right like a you you can't risk something like that no matter how hard he might want to do it Jud kenta had fully established himself as if not the top heel then, then certainly the the second top heel be behind jay white um you know, just by taking out Shibata and you can still get a little bit of, of mileage just with Kenta almost taunting Shibata, even if you can't quite deliver on that match. Like it's almost a, a Miz and Brian situation before, before Brian officially did come back of you just have this heel who just keeps building heat by taunting the guy who, who can't wrestle again. And you can get a lot of heat that way. Yeah. So a couple things on the Shibata thing. Um, he has talked many times in interviews that the whole point of him agreeing to be the LA Dojo trainer was because he wanted to stay in shape because he's, he still eyes an eventual return to the ring. That has been one of his goals. And uh, there was a point to where it didn't seem like they were ever going to clear him again. And that, but the thing is too, you know, we've seen like with the Daniel Bryan thing, you know, diagnosis can change. He can heal. He can get better. But as of last word, according to Meltzer, and I know some of you are like, oh, fuck Dave, blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, Dave's probably the best source right now on it. Shibata is not medically cleared to perform. They did shoot the big angle, and there's no guarantee he will be cleared. So right now, things are kind of up in the air. But it was an awesome angle, and just the visual of Kenta sitting on Shibata's chest doing his pose. It's like, what a fucking asshole. What a glorious asshole, you know? And just, yeah. yeah, the whole angle, I mean, the match was pretty good for what it was. Ishii had that great run at the end and everything. But the turn from Kenta came off well. Kicking the shit out of the LA Dojo kids was great. And then, like you said, the reaction Shibata got, because people were like, oh, hey, it's Shibata. He's going to try to talk Kenta out of it. No, man, my, my boy came to fight. And like you said, Tonga took a great bump. Like him and Loa, just like they bumped quickly and hard for him. They wanted to make everything he did look great. And you know, maybe that's a, a tip off that he's not going to wrestle. And just the fact that everybody in there wanted to do what they could to make everything Shibata do look great to, to get this off number one on the right thing, but to obviously kind of pay tribute to him and make sure he looks great. Um, but I mean, I, the only thing that's going to make this better is if he's actually healthy and if he can come back for a match, because we keep talking about the two Tokyo domes and man, 
you have you have Liger's last match. You're gonna have Okada, Bushi. You might have the Lij thing, Liger Suzuki. If you can add Kenta and Shibata's return match to that, it's like holy shit, man. I mean that's that's some potential big time shit there. So obviously we don't know, but it was a hell of an angle. Even if you get Shibata in a tag team <coughs> match and. I that my my best guess on who we would team with would be Tanahashi, uh, be, because of their relationship. You could potentially do that where you know Tanahashi does the bulk of the work, but Shibata can still kind of come in, get the pop, be protected, and you know doesn't have to work a, a eight minute match, which I think people would expect like at least eight minutes out of him if he's going to return for a singles match. So it's very possible you you do something like a, a Kenta and Jay White uh, against Tanahashi and Shibata. Yeah, Goto's also in play too, because remember they're former tag team champions and they were friends dating no, back to Go- high school. Goto's Goto's not in play. No. Goto does not need to be in Trust me, position. Goto's in play if it's a tag match because of their relationship, dude. Trust me. I'm sure he is, but uh, Goto, no. We don't need Goto in this position. Like White and Kenta against Tanahashi and Shibata sounds awesome to me. I don't need Hiroki Goto in here being just a guy. See, your Hiroki Goto hate is so depressing. Listen, if Hiroki Goto gave me a reason to care about him, I would, but I do not. He's being buried like Naito, man. He can only do so (laughs) much. If you think Naito's being buried, I would like to know opinions on Goto because this guy is already dead. Anyway, we we moved on to some more tag team action. And again, things continue to be really good here with uh, future setup. Zack Sabre Jr. uh, teaming up with his favorite dad, Minoru Suzuki, defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi and Katsuchika Okada 15 and a half minutes. Uh, the the it ended with Saber locking the guillotine on Tanahashi and Suzuki hitting the gotch on Okada for the win. Very good tag match. Uh, up until this point, the best thing on the show. And then the best part was post match Suzuki completely mocking Okada because he basically told him "fuck your G one." How does it feel to have your ass beat by somebody that wasn't in, even in the G one? And uh, he basically said, "You know, he's like, I'm going to beat your ass and take your title." Suzuki looked great here, completely reinvigorated. I'm down with a, re- a match with these guys because they work great together. I thought the match was really good. I thought the whole thing was really well done. And Suzuki basically demanding that Okada hand him the championship after the match. I mean, Suzuki, baddest man on the planet still. And uh, I think this is the, I wrote in my review, I think this is the likely Royal Quest title match uh, along with uh, Zack and Tanahashi. They brought out Tanahashi and Okada to cool the crowd from sh- the Shibata angle. Who would have thought? Good, good match. Suzuki rules. His post-match speech was just awesome. Uh, you know, people complained that Suzuki was, was not in the G1, and he probably should have been over somebody like Tai Chi, but he, he wasn't. And, and what can you do? So instead of being in the G1, he's like, "Well, I, all three of these guys were in the G1." I'm going to kick two of their asses. I'm going to pin the champion. And I'm just going to take my title shot. Like, fuck the manning it. I'm just going to be like, just, I'm taking it. You're, you're facing me. And there you go. Suzuki gets his title shot because who the hell is going to tell this man no? Uh, th- this worked really well as a match on this show and then to, to set up a title match down the line. And 
Mazora Suzuki just he he rules. Yes, he is a great man. He went on a murder spree during the G1 undercards and then comes back here and pins Okada. And um, there's I saw a lot of speculation on that that might be the case here, and uh, it played, but it played out extremely well. I thought, and yeah, his uh, his post match stuff was just great. He he doesn't give a fuck about anybody. He just does no, his as he should. So it was great. Uh, main event, Jeremy, the G one twenty nine finals. Kota Ibushi defeating Jay White thirty one minutes via pin. I go to you for your thoughts first, sir. Good match. Um. Yeah, it it was definitely good. Coda is is awesome, really, really awesome. There there was the the usual Bullet Club shenanigans, but there was another instance where it, it certainly worked, and you know Coda had to overcome a little bit. And then Jay White, his closing stretches are typically very strong with his counter work, and this was no exception. And Coda's closing stretches are obvi- are always really strong, just because his closing stretches are just fucking awesome, and he, there's a lot of heat to it. Jay White always gets a lot of heat, and the crowd really, really loves Coda. They got behind him in a big way over the last year, and. and even more over the last eight months, like like since he announced that he was resigning and everything, like Coda has become. I mean, this is why he won the G one. He's become the top guy in the promotion, or at least second behind Okada. I I thought I thought it was a, a fantastic match. Maybe not. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as uh, Coda and Tanahashi from last year, but still overall a really good match. Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, Ibushi becomes the first man to win the New Japan Cup, Best of Super Juniors, and a G1. So, Still finished, only made it to the semifinals of the Cruiserweight Classic, the real toughest tournament in sports history. I know. It's it's going to haunt him forever, obviously, Jeremy. I mean, where did he go from there? I mean... Lost the... I don't remember if he lost the TJP or Grand Metalique, but... Yeah, they tout Zack Sabre as this great tournament wrestler, and then you have Ibushi winning all these tournaments. Y'all geeks lost in the semifinals to the Cruiserweight Classics, the TJP, and Grand Metalik. How good are you really? Yeah, um, White got to dominate a lot here. Uh, They got a lot of good heat out of this. Um, The the people were, the best part is, is like, it got a lot of heat, and people were buying Jay White winning, and the fact that they were afraid of him winning. Uh, Abushi would make his comebacks. They would keep getting behind him because they they just rallied so hard for him to overcome. They they got rid of the Bullet Club who all came out at first, and Gato got to stay. Then Gato got tossed, and then they did a they did a ref bump spot so he could sneak out and hide. And they got they got really good heat on that. But it's like the only thing I really hated about that is like they didn't need it at that point. Because the crowd was already into Jay White being a douchebag. They were already afraid that he could win. And I don't think you needed to kind of shoehorn that in because it felt like that, uh, felt like the mid 2000s Jeff Jarrett and TNA stuff. Yeah, that, that's fair. You know, it's like, but like, I, I think Jay White's to a point that he's, he's a good enough wrestler and he's good enough at getting heat that he doesn't need to shortcuts all the time. And it kind of becomes diminishing returns. But again, I will say, it's not. while it's not my favorite thing, they created a great atmosphere because all this crowd wanted was to see the villain get vanquished. And they wanted nothing more than Ibushi to fucking rise from the grave, basically. 
and be their hero. So they were emotionally invested into this. Closing stretch was great, extremely well done stuff. And you know, the right man won. I think it was a great match. I think you clip I think if you clip two or three minutes off and get rid of the the kind of needless run in stuff that it wasn't a huge part of it, but again, I don't think you needed it because it didn't play a huge part. I think you take that stuff out, it's a little better. So to me, it's not like an all-time G1 final, but I could probably put it safely in the top 10. I'm going to go back and do my re-ranking, and that'll be official of it, excuse me, eventually. But um, yeah, I thought it was great overall, and uh, just they had the crowd where they needed them to be, and the right guy won. So I think that's the important thing to take away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm with you on the Jay White stuff. He doesn't always need it. And we've discussed it before. When you do it too often, it doesn't look good. Or when you do it, when you've... uh, I know you have like Tai Chi do the same thing or some of the Suzuki Goon guys do do the same thing. Like it comes off as lesser than it should be. This was certainly a G1 final. You didn't need to do it, but I get why they did and i I don't think it took too much away from the match i do agree if they cut a couple minutes off of this it it probably could have been a little bit better but the closing stretch was was hot and that's typically what a a lot of people think about when when they think about the the new japan stuff is just how good the closing stretch is this was certainly uh, a really good one and yeah koto ibushi strong year uh with with kenny omega gone there he's getting the big push he's earned it he's Big time over. Crowd loves him. He's gonna most likely go to the dome. He's gonna have to defend the brief, defend the briefcase. But I've never seen the the G one guy lose the briefcase. I would assume he would go on to the dome and and take on Okada. And that's a it's a big match. Yeah. So again, we're 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 starting the build to January here. We got things going on, and I think the biggest success overall of the tournament was. Not only did they do more overall attendance um, for the whole tour, they did more numbers in Budokan for the three nights as opposed to last year by about 1,100. You delivered just an insane amount of great wrestling. And in theory, I mean, you gave away the Wrestle Kingdom main event already in the tournament, and you lost nothing by doing it because people are even more excited for that match being the possible January 4th match. So, I mean, just a, a lot of success here in the G1. Uh, I know it's kind of become hyperbole every year to say that this is the greatest G1 ever. And honestly, I mean, it kind of feels that way every year. I will say that this year didn't have as many high-level four four point, you know, four and three quarter and five star matches as I've given in previous years. But I thought overall it was more consistently great as in number of four star matches and above, I think was more than any other year I've given. So I think you can make an argument for it. Just a lot of consistently great stuff in this tournament. Really enjoyed it. Made it through alive again another year, Jeremy. So I have that going for me. You are the best when it comes to covering this stuff. I had someone ask on my Twitter, you know, where can I find G1 matches of like top 20 and stuff because I just want to watch the good stuff. And I told him your list should be out in the coming days. So keep an eye out for that and, you know, watch all the good stuff. And 
which uh, the top 20 is just Toru Yano matches, nine of them, and then whatever else you decide to put on there. Yeah, I will, um, I'm hoping to get that published for Thursday. I have, uh, have most of it done, got to do a little bit of writing for it, but that'll be the plan for there. So we're to close up, Jeremy. We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw, the fallout from WWE SummerSlam. And, um, you know, we had some things happen on the show here, and we'll get into that. But uh, we started off, Seth Rollins and AJ did a promo. They set up a match for later in the night. Uh, we're not going to go segment by segment, so don't worry. But uh, Street Profits did their stuff. Apparently, Angelo Dawkins partied too much. They set up. Good for him. Yeah, they set up a Sami Zayn Samoa Joe match. Which led to Joe choking out Sami Zayn in 45 seconds. Poor Sami Zayn. Yeah, poor Sami Zayn. It's nice that Joe gets a win and gets kind of rebuilt a little bit here. They're they're really sacrificing Sami, though. Yeah, they have... It's just... I feel bad for him. Because he's a guy that is obviously very talented, but he's completely wasted, that they don't don't care about him at all. They just kind of throw him out there. And he's still a guy who can get his heat with his comments and everything. And I mean, you got to beat those guys up, but you also got to give them a little something. So they're, they're credible. Exactly. And they do nothing to do that. Um, Joe then announced that he forgives Roman Reigns for the false accusations, but refuses to forgive the fans because they're assholes. He has a fair point. Uh, Dolph Ziggler arrived for his match with the Miz came out, not dressed to compete claiming that, uh, you know, he got beat up by Goldberg too much last night and then runs the Miz down for having no chance to beat him and that he came up with a master plan to take him out with the Goldberg match. He lied, said he wasn't medically cleared to compete. So, of course, you know what's going to happen. He attacked the Miz and we got a match anyway. The Miz yeah, beat next. Dolph Ziggler just under four minutes. It was perfectly solid. Nice win for Miz. Dolph was, again, an idiot after the match, talked a bunch of shit, and then got laid out by the skull-crushing finale, so... Thanks for coming, Dolph. I don't mind this Dolph Ziggler just loses, and then he's a glutton for punishment more than anything, and it's kind of fitting for his WWE career. Yeah, pretty much, and I'm fine with it too. Uh, Becky cut a promo, which would, uh, you know, talk, basically said uh, she she gave him the tally of respect for their match at SummerSlam, but said uh, she was coming for everybody that did her wrong, and you better get me before I get you game on. And, it was a good promo. Uh, yeah, that was good, and that was a good setup for later on. Elias came out and complained about getting speared by Edge at SummerSlam. Said he knew someone would interrupt. Ricochet interrupted. They had a match. Ricochet won. This sucks. Yeah, it was not good. It was short and sloppy, and like I get that they were going for like a nice rebound win for Ricochet, but this just did not work. No, it, in theory, it was a good idea of you know let Ricochet do his cool moves, pick up a win over Elias, but it, it came off so sloppy, and then Elias got his shoulder up anyway, and it, it did no favors for uh, either one of these guys, especially Ricochet. Yeah, unfortunately, not good. Uh, next up, two out of three falls match, Rey Mysterio versus Andrade. Andrade beat Rey at 535, two straight falls, Jeremy. Uh, I was cool with that, and then the post-match where, where Ray is kind of doubting himself. He, you know, he's been getting beat a lot. I guess he did. He just beat Ali, didn't he? He got destroyed by Lashley, but then he, he I think he beat Ali and on SmackDown. Can't keep track of this stuff, but 
Uh, I, I'm fine with like Andrade is their guy of the future. At least he should be. So sacrificing Ray is fine. That's what these legends should kind of be there to do is have good matches and put over new talents. And that's what Ray is doing. And I'm cool with it. Yeah, they've also announced, Jeremy, that the King of the Ring is returning. They'll be running it on TV yeah. starting next week. Excited for that. So, yes, we will see what happens with the King of the Ring. And uh, I, I'm not a big fan of it when they run it on TV because they kind of rush things a lot. But hopefully it works out well. There really should be no need to rush it with fucking five hours of Raw and SmackDown. But, you know, hopefully it works out well. And uh, hopefully a chance to make somebody, like... Might be a good good uh, idea to maybe give Andrade some run after these Ray wins. You know, do something with him. Make make Zelina the queen of fucking Raw. Whatever. Just have a good time, you know. I'm fine with that. He, he can be the king and then can drop Zelina for, for Charlotte, the real queen. Oh, God. That's the last thing I want to see is another forced couple <laughs> on TV. <laughs> yeah, and they're... They're a lot more flaunting of their relationship. Well, th- I mean, I guess that is the thing is they are a lot more flaunting of their relationship on social media than, than Seth and Becky are. So with, with Seth and Becky, it came off very forced and, and cringe with, with Andrade and Charlotte because they're kind of, I don't want to say douchebags, but they're, they're very in your face and cocky about their appearances and their relationship. I think you can actually get kind of a, a smarmy like, high school jock and uh prom queen and king kind of relationship out of it and it would come off as just these guys suck and very hateable i think it'd actually be much better than seth and becky they probably have better on screen chemistry well i don't think they could have worse <laughs> that's fair um next up we had uh, drew mcintyre and cedric which we briefly mentioned earlier uh drew won at eight forty-five. they had a really good match uh cedric lost but he looked great got a lot of shine and uh drew got to look really good in his win yeah um a good good match for both guys this was not an issue with the with the feud but we we both want drew to kind of be perceived as this killer and, and get elevated and it hasn't happened and we both want cedric to succeed and uh and get some shine and that's what this match accomplished like cedric doesn't have to to win to get over as long as he is uh booked strongly and this was a strong booking for him yeah he uh he put up a great fight but uh drew took his soul with a fucking claymore and turned him inside out for the win great sell by yes. cedric um so then we had like robert rude defeating no way jose and squash uh, Robert Roode is alive yeah he is well you would know that if you watch main event like me Jeremy the, the real no, I don't watch <laughs> main event he's got his beard back that mustache gimmick didn't go too far yeah um Revival and Lucha House Party started a match which ended up just being a backdrop for 24-7 shenanigans the Revival actually jointly won the 24-7 title for a short bit Callisto then uh hit a Selena Del Sol and Carmella helped Truth win the title back they ran away to backstage. Um, he claimed he was the 72-time 7-Eleven European champion. And then Elias laid him out with the guitar and won the title. I wish they would have given the Revival more run with the being co-champions. Got because got nice seven seconds there. <laughs> like, you know, breaking up pins for each other and stuff. It, it, 
they're not going to turn on each other. So you've got somebody like watching your back as, as a co-champion. And I think they could have gotten some actual mileage out of that. Instead, I mean, Elias has the title now, so whatever. A legend will interrupt him and take it, I guess. Uh, what are you going to do? So anyway, Natalia arrived and had her arm in a sling. Says she fought hard at SummerSlam, but Becky out-wrestled her and she ended up tapping out. She has a dislocated elbow and needs an MRI, but then said she's not going to take anybody back, anything back, because she meant everything she said about Becky. Uh, and she will come back and face her again. And then poor Natalia, the, the story of her career... She starts talking about her dad speaking to her in a dream and how he's proud of her. And she's just like, nobody cares, like boring chance and stuff. Like, poor. I felt bad oh, I for did. her. I, I felt horrible for her because you'd think in Canada they'd like at least give her a little bit of love, but nope. Again, kind of the story of her career. And then as the crowd was turning on her, Sasha Banks made a return. Wait, wait, Larry. It's boss time. Oh, you know, Michael Cole's been waiting months to break it out. My favorite thing. And it's the big dog. It's boss time and the big dog. Oh, the best part is like Michael Cole puts so much into it. It's like when it's strange, he's like, it's the big dog. <laughs> you know, and it's boss time. It's like Michael Cole is like, I, I know Vince is yelling in his ear with all this bullshit and branding, but it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's annoying. But Sasha Banks returns. She hugged Natalia and they had a sweet five seconds until Sasha Banks turned on her and beat her ass, ripped off her uh, fuchsia wig and she had a new blue hairdo. And uh, then she started beating the shit out of Natalia's arm, slammed her into the steps. And again, poor Natalia, we got... Thank you, Sasha Chance. <laughs> oh, it's it sucks to to be Natalia. Yeah, it, it really does. I, I felt bad for her, but like, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, Becky arrived to make the save. They brawled. Sasha Banks took control, laid into her with about 90 chair shots, slapped her around, threw her into the steps. Uh, great angle for her return, and as we talked about, it looks like we're to get Charlotte and Bailey on the SmackDown side, and looks like uh, Sasha and Beck we're heading towards Sasha and Becky for uh, Night of Champions as well. Cool with that. Glad Sasha is back. She's getting a feud that I'm sure she wanted, and a feud that makes sense and is going to gonna light the social media world on fire uh, I, I know that much um yeah good good return here i like the wig reveal blue means bad i guess and all around just just a just a strong segment and again you go back to earlier in the night when becky was cutting the promo i'm coming for all that did me wrong get me before i get you game on and the game is Oh, she on. tried to come. Yeah, she tried to come for Sasha, and Sasha still beat her ass. That's right. So, uh, yeah, I really liked that angle. I thought it was well. I thought the Sasha return got over really well. So, good stuff. Uh, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross defeated the Kabuki Warriors to retain the women's tag team titles. Uh, no page because she's off getting another surgery on her neck. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as we talked about, they have a lot invested into Nikki and Alexa right now. Yeah. 
So, and then Raw closed up with the main event, AJ Styles and Seth Rollins in a non-title champion versus champion match. Seth ended up winning by DQ nine minutes when the Good Brothers attacked. This led to Ricochet making the save, and then he got his ass beat. And then Braun decided to come back, and he made the big save, cleaned house, power slammed AJ. And it now looks like Seth and Ricochet finally have some friends. Oh, good good for Seth. They didn't need DX to come out there and, and save him this time. Braun getting him back in the mix is, is fine. Let's see where they go with Braun. They, they've stopped and start with him so much that it's tough to be like, all right, what are you doing here? I, I know AJ challenged him uh, in a backstage exclusive, so maybe we'll get Braun and AJ next week, which I'd be okay with. Braun is a guy who doesn't need a title, he, but he can always be in the picture because he's a big dude. He's charismatic. He works uh, the style well enough. And you put him in there with a guy like AJ. AJ's going to bump his ass off for him. So I, I like this angle. You, you got six guys on the screen, six guys in kind of the, the main event picture. Ricochet did look a little bit like an afterthought and after the Elias match that I don't know if, if he's – this is a big spot for Ricochet. He's either going to to thrive and they're going to make him look good and he's going to step up, or he might be just kind of the guy that gets lost in in this six man mix here. Because you know, you know, the OC is fine because they're they're a collective group and AJ is going to be fine. And as tag team champions, Gallows and Anderson will be all right. Seth is the champ. Braun is he's built up an, enough uh, stock and equity that he'll be okay. Ricochet is the guy where it's like. What has he really done outside of some some U.S. title wins? I guess he's won that title at least once, uh, you know. But otherwise, he his matches have been maybe a little underwhelming. The match with Elias wasn't good. We know he just flips, and that's cool. But there's not a whole lot of backstory to him. It, he, this is a big spot for him. Either they're going to build him into something, or he's going to get lost, and then he's might take him a bit to to get back to this level. Yeah, we'll definitely see what happens. Uh, Heyman is apparently a really big supporter of his, so we'll see what happens with that. And then uh, if he actually gets a chance to move forward and do some stuff with him or if Vince puts the kibosh on it. But, um, yeah, it's um really good. Uh, just, uh, I, I mean, I like the overall thing at the closing angle. I thought the Sasha thing was really good. Had good heat to it, good beatdown on Becky and... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential there because I know everybody likes to talk about, and rightfully so, the Sasha and Bailey matches, which were really, really excellent. But uh, Sasha and Becky also had a really excellent match back in NXT as well. So, um, I mean, God knows if they'll be given the opportunity to actually deliver that here, but I mean, they definitely have a history of working well together, and um, Sasha is probably back and kind of fired up to prove that she can deliver. And you know Becky wants something really good after having to deal with the Lacey Evans stuff. Yeah, Becky is... I I never questioned her motivation. Um, I mean, she tried her best to get the most out of Lacey Lacey Evans. It just... It wasn't there. The Natalia stuff, she tried her best to to get the most out of that. The social media stuff was fine. Natalia flubbed the lots... on the television, but the, the actual match, as we talked about, was a, a good match. Sasha can keep up on social media. She's got an army uh, of stands behind her. And then in the ring, 
if they get the time that Becky and, and Lacey got and Becky and Natalia got, then it's probably going to be a really good match. You know, Sasha is, is super motivated after all of this stuff to prove like, why do you guys keep like doubting me and just give me these opportunities? So this is, this is a big feud. Becky can get back to that level that she was I really this time last year and then heading into mania. Like, this feels like the biggest feud since, uh, I mean, it certainly is women's division wise since uh, Becky and, and Rhonda. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, that was raw, just some uh, kind of running through and giving some thoughts on the bigger stuff there. And uh, uh, raw I thought was pretty good show overall. Um, I, it feels like they are making definite improvements they're not like giant sweeping improvements, but the shows have felt a little more consistent, a little better flow wise. We're getting some better matches. Like this week it was uh drew and Cedric last week. It was Ray and Andrade. I like the focus on Andrade right now. I think that's really good. And hopefully they can book some, just some simple, good and strong wrestling shows next week with the King of the ring stuff. I, I've enjoyed Raw for the for the past couple of, of weeks with the Heyman era, and then SmackDown has been consistently good. I think WWE television is actually good right now. The King of the Ring stuff, definitely. This is your chance to get some guys over, whether it's in wins with longer runs or even in losses if you just do competitive matches. Like You, you have a, a good chance to, to get guys over here, and hopefully it's not just a lot of like, two, three, four-minute matches where, all right, the guy who wins does what, like a 50-50 four-minute match doesn't exactly do anybody big favors. So just give us some some wrestling matches in, in the next couple of weeks and make the matches longer as they progress. I, I mean, if you look at the, the, the lineup for the King of the Ring, you've got some matches where it's like, all right, you can sacrifice this guy. And then you've got some matches where it's like, all right, let's go out there and let's have a kind of a 10 minute banger in the first round. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully they, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I hope it works out really well because, um, I think it's, it's a good opportunity to just deliver good, solid wrestling based shows that you don't have to overthink. And so hopefully they kind of take advantage of that because that's uh that would be refreshing from the main WWE shows. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, well, that'll wrap us up, Jeremy. We have survived SummerSlam weekend. We have survived the G1. I think, I think we're both still alive. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of there. I had to, was on the trainer's table today, but I made it. So we're good to I'm go. About to but uh pulling a bushy and just down a bunch of beers. Yeah, exactly. But I do want to thank everybody for listening and I want to thank everybody that has followed along with my written uh reviews of the G one and as well as the um the audio ones here with Jeremy and hopefully Thursday of this week I will have my uh G one breakdown, which will be similar to my best of super junior ones where I'll do the average star ratings, the top matches, give out a couple awards and uh that will kind of be my final wrap up for the G1. So just remember, you're listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five star review on iTunes. Jeremy, thank you very much, buddy. 
Yes, of course. When are we going to be back? We don't have shows for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure offhand, but I'll figure it out. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, we will catch you guys soon. And uh, just, I hope everybody survived the G1 and SummerSlam weekend because it was rough, but good.